Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful Brandon, Florida, here are your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I am in Studio A with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. Great to be here. Um, isn't it great to be here? It's wonderful. Man, I tell you what, we live in just just an awesome time. Uh, exciting stuff going on uh, this month here at Beit Tehillah Congregation. On the 13th and the 15th of this month, we have our uh, famous tour guide from Israel, Mr. Hanukh Young, uh, and he'll be here, like I said, on uh, Shabbat for the 13th, and then again on Monday night, uh, the 15th. And then that Wednesday... Uh, right after that, instead of our normal monthly men's meeting, we're actually going to have a um, a meeting with uh, everybody together, and it is going to be um, Mr. Nadi Ram from Lev HaOlam, and he is going to be uh, speaking about Lev HaOlam and just telling us what's going on in the land, exciting stuff. And so we're really excited to have him here for that, uh, and that is going to be happening again on Wednesday the 17th, starting at 7 p.m., and then uh, for those of you that uh, are uh, believers in deliverance ministry, uh, we have an awesome weekend going on the 27th and 28th. We have it's healing, too. Healing. And, heal- and healing. It's a healing ministry. Healing yes. and deliverance, correct. Healing so, our hurts, our emotions, suppressed memories. Everything. Oh, yeah. You better believe it. Well, because we look at it as a whole person, right? So it's, it's LL Ministries. Um, they're based in the UK. They have a local... Uh, campus here in the Tampa Bay area, and they're going to be coming and facilitating a Freedom Weekend here at Beit Tehillah on the 27th and 28th. So I recommend uh, anybody and everybody, if you uh, if you think you're free, you ain't free until you free free. You know what I mean? So <laughs> come and get you some freedom uh, for Freedom Weekend on the 27th and 28th. All right, so moving on to the Torah portion. We are studying the Torah portion, Chukat, which is Ordinance of... This can be found in the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 19, verse 1, and ending in chapter 22, in verse 1. All right, let's just hit it right out of the gate. The ceremonial law of the ashes of the red heifer. Amen. Let's just look at this. We're going to look this over, and then we're going to get into some other scriptures as well. We're going to be reading some other portions, but we're going to get through the ashes of the red heifer. And so what were the three requirements for the red heifer? And once again, heifer means a female. So there we have that. That's out of the way. But what were the three requirements for the red heifer? So it's going to be without without spot. No splots, baby. (laughs) No blemish. And uh, and never having had a yoke. Wow, there's the requirements. Without spot, no blemish, and never had a yoke. Take it literally, folks. There you have it right there. Bam! Boom! And so uh, where was the red heifer slayed, Ryan, in Numbers 19.3? Uh, it was without the camp or outside of the camp. Very, very. Which is different than the rest of the sacrifices, as you can. Yeah, outside the camp, and uh, let's see here. Uh, and of course, uh, in Numbers nineteen four, and Eliezer the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. Okay, so once again we have uh, seven times. The number seven means completion. We have, of course, uh, seven days in the week. Um, seven days of unleavened bread, seven days of tabernacles, uh, Snow White and the Seven, seven Dwarves. <laughs> I don't think seven, that one's in there. Seven's, yeah. you know, an uh, 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 incredible number. It means completion. It's cyclical and uh, very interesting. So, of course, we have uh, seven feast days, uh, eight counting the Shabbat. But if you count Shabbat by itself, then you have seven 
feast day. So there you have seven. Um, very, very interesting. Seven branches on the menorah, which of course is the, uh, uh, the symbol for Israel today. It's the menorah. And I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 13. Ooh. And uh, we're going to check out some New Testament stuff here. I want love Yeshua. Amen. Absolutely. Love the person Yeshua. Hebrews 13, 11. Uh, and I'm going to read these verses 11 to 14. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Wow, I love this. Look at this. This is so powerful. I love this part where it says right here. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Once again, all the instructions are given to take the animal blood and do this and do that. But how much more precious is the blood well in this blood Yeshua. so you're going to notice as we go through this that there's um it's it's different than all the other sacrifices this is a very distinct uh and holy set apart sacrifice it's done outside the camp and then they don't sprinkle the blood on the altar they sprinkle the blood at the door of the tabernacle outside of it so it's just a whole other way i mean just it's just different it's just not you like know and, and once again we're talking about the ceremonial law we're talking about protocol as well that's another name for it but but here we go check this out in first peter chapter one uh, let's look at this verse 18 and 19 and 20, maybe 21 as well. Let, check this out. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Wow, there's another example right there. No blemish, no spot. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Wow. You know, what's really cool about the scriptures, and I want to encourage all of you that are listening, you know, it's good to, to, to look at it and repeat it. And just take that verse and make it to be, you know, uh, like a proclamation or a statement, you know, and I just like to say things like, you know, Yeshua, thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you that you are spotless and blameless and without sin. And you're the perfect sacrifice. Thank you for, for being that for me. Amen. You know, it just sets things in motion, like your flesh and your pride and, 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 and it, it not, it actually acknowledges somebody else besides yourself. And that's what really humility is. It's about acknowledging others. And that's what Yeshua did. He didn't came to, to, to be served, but to serve. So what, a, what an awesome amount of scriptures that we have here. You know, this, this is amazing in, in regards to, uh, we have, of course, uh, another question. What three things were added while the burning of the red heifer took place? So this is going to be cedarwood, hyssop, and scarlet. So I, cedarwood, hyssop, and scarlet. And one of the things that was brought up is they're, you know, they're actually, um, this is a whole burnt offering, burning it all the way completely down to ash, right? Because they're going to use these ashes in, in their other ceremonies. That's right. So then they even say that the dung is included with this, this burning. And so it's the entire thing. So it probably had an burn interesting, offering. an interesting smell, you know. So I mean, it smelled like meat, but you then know, you have burning uh, dung as well. It's interesting, you know, when you have like cedar wood or like cedar furniture, there's no bugs. Right. There's no bugs. 
Yeah. So that's one of the advantages of cedarwood. Notice it's cedarwood, hyssop, and scarlet. There's three things. Three means divine of the Lord. Each thing has a meaning. It's, it's, it's interesting that God gives us all these things to clean us up, to show us how to get right. But cedarwood was used for the temple. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 6, and 2 Chronicles 2, 8 as well, cedar wood was found in the temple. And the highest form of learning is smell. So it's interesting that you have this cedar wood, which has a di- distinct smell to it, which is, which is pretty refreshing. You know? And then, of course, we have hyssop. And, and what comes to my mind is hyssop you know, can, can be extracted from hyssop as a tree. Mm-hmm. And so remember in Exodus 12, 22, they took the hyssop and they used it to apply the blood to the doorposts. So they had like a hyssop branch, and they used it to apply the blood to the doorpost. Once again, the hyssop branch. Um, and that's found in, of course, Exodus 12, 22. And then, of course, we have uh, uh, David in, in the Psalm, Psalm 51, 7. He says, purge me with hyssop. You know, purge me with hyssop. Uh, and then uh, let's look at John 19, 29. John nineteen twenty nine. We're going to find hyssop again. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Wow. Look at that. And then, of course, we have Hebrews 9, 19. Hebrews 9, 19. A lot to learn here. Man, you're, you're doing the whole, like, where is that in the New Testament thing? You know, I, I think it's it's really neat. And we're going to even get into some good stuff as well in regards to cedarwood and hyssop. But, yeah, uh, we have, of course, Hebrews 9, 19. It says, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. This is the marriage ceremony. So there, there you have the hyssop. Amen. Now... It's interesting because uh, it's actually used for the purification of a leper in Leviticus 14.4, the purification of a leper. So it's used to purify. You know, for those of you that are listening, you know, um, I'm a strong believer in aromatherapy. You know, there's Leviticus, I mean, not Leviticus, there's lavender, there's uh, eucalyptus, helps your respiratory, lavender calms you down. So anyway, uh, the combination of cedarwood and hyssopine is pretty profound. If you take those two and put them in a diffuser, cedarwood and hyssop, it gives like a calming effect. And, right. and I've always wondered about that. I think that's fascinating. But let me remind all of you that this would be some of the smells that would come from the temple. So if you're all stressed out, bugged out, whatever you're doing, whether you're you know having a hard time or not, uh, cedarwood and hyssop, as far as aromatherapy in a diffuser, you can buy it. Uh, cedarwood and hyssop has got a calming effect. Oh, for sure. It like It like really clears your mind. You can smell it. And it just brings a calming effect. There's and been and many... I need that in my house because I have seven children. <laughs> I put CD1 hyssop in my bedroom and just let it spray throughout. But there's been many I, times I where you. we did it in here during the podcast. Absolutely, cedarwood and hyssop. Everybody, take it's our go, secret. You take that to the uh, the health food store and go check it out. Cedarwood and hyssop oils uh, is really interesting. And of course, it's biblical. Uh, people say oils are new age. No, they're not. They're not. It's not new age. It's in the Bible. I mean, think about it, people. So anyway. What an incredible storyline there. Boy, that was exciting, wasn't it? Didn't you learn a lot just now, everybody? All right, all right. Just keep listening. Oh, now, yeah. now, the priest who burnt the red heifer was considered to be unclean until the evening. You know, we serve a holy, righteous, incredible God, and he gives us all these ceremonial laws and this protocol 
to make it right. And, and so, you know, we got to keep it in context. But the priest who gathered the ashes of the red heifer was considered unclean until the evening. So think about that. You know, whoever burns the red heifer, uh, whoever gathers the ashes was considered unclean until evening. And of course, uh, here's the great question, Ryan. What was the purpose for the ashes of the red heifer? This is what's actually this, what's going on here. This has actually got some cool stuff um, associated with it. So it's it's used in the ritual purification of a person who has come in contact with a dead body, and it's not just like we think in contact, meaning I've touched a dead body. It's like if there's somebody dead in the room and you walk into the room, now you have received the uncleanness. right. And so, how long was a person <laughs> unclean after they had touched a dead body? Because now their 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 status has changed. Correct. So for seven days they were unclean. On the third day they had to do the ritual purification with the ashes of the red heifer. Now, a couple things. Uh, Romans six, uh, chapter eleven. Uh, I'm sorry, Romans Romans six, chapter eleven. Romans chapter six, uh, verse twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord." And uh, if you bump back to verse 11 in the same chapter, it says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, you know, the idea here is that you come in contact with death, and it makes you unclean. And he's the God of the living, and not of the dead. That's exactly right. But there has to be a process of purification, of taking you from the one status of being unclean to the status of being clean. And so if Yeshua is the Passover lamb and he's that sacrifice, the miracle is that not only does he fulfill that sacrifice, he also fulfills the sacrifice of the red heifer as well. And so you being dead are now alive through this ritual purification that Yeshua does by dying outside the camp, right? So the they die, they kill the, the, the heifer outside the camp, they take the ashes, they store it, they have a ritual purification, it's available for people that need that purification process outside of the camp. Well, Yeshua, in that same way, just like he was talking about in, uh, what was it, um, Hebrews, Hebrews, yeah, in Hebrews 13, that Yeshua was sacrificed, quote-unquote, outside the camp. We acknowledge him. Right, exactly. And, and we can change our status, you know, isn't this the coolest thing? So it is. The, the punishment for a person who touched a dead body and was not purified didn't want to go through the, the process or the steps. They shall be cut off from Israel. That's not a good thing. Not good. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, and of course, personal possessions had to be made clean if a dead body contaminated them. Numbers nineteen eighteen. Once again, personal possessions had to be made clean if a dead body contaminated them. And hyssop is involved in that particular verse. Hyssop. Cleanse me with hyssop. Isn't that the coolest thing? So here's the great question in regards to this subject matter as we go on to the next subject matter. Uh, what is the one lesson that we can learn from the ceremonial law in regards to the ashes of the red heifer? And of course, this was a discussion that we had last night in our small group tour study. went really well. Uh, I have This is what I have on here. For those of you that are listening and want to get a better understanding, you know, and all you're getting, get understanding. Check this out. Here we go. The ceremonial laws are the steps that the Lord gives to keep us in right standing with him. I would call it protocol. See, these aren't things that, that are going to harm you or hurt you. It's protocol. So ceremonial laws can take us from an unclean state to a clean state. So once again, it's a difference between being in or outside the camp, Ryan. That's the difference. You know, and I have this great teaching. I'm sure you can find it on our YouTube channel. Where are you in the tabernacle? You know, a lot of people are outside the tabernacle, Ryan, and they don't even realize that fact. They're like a legend in their own mind. And I'm telling you, God is gathering. God is restoring. He is really, really doing this for the whole house of Israel. 
So any last thoughts on the red heifer before we move on? Uh, <clears throat> no, I mean, just other than saying that ceremonial things are not bad. I think we're very right. resistant as Christians to be resistant to ceremonial things. I think a lot of right. times it's because we don't understand it or we think it's silly. Um, but we do ceremonies all the time. We do. And we don't realize that we're doing a ceremony. We just want to, you know, stick our nose up. Does it say give, give custom whose custom is due, tradition who tradition is due? Paul says this. Yeah. And I would say that it, God's tr- customs and traditions are probably above all other customs and traditions. And so if this is how he wants it done, that's probably how we should do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is. It, it's exciting. So as we get into, get into Numbers mm-hmm. chapter 20, verses 1 through 13, we have, of course, uh, uh, the title is Moses and Aaron's Sin. Uh, of course, we're going to have uh, some interesting things happening in this particular chapter as we are, of course, uh, looking at how this particular book is broken up. Um, so who died in the desert of Zin in the first month? This is Miriam. Miriam dies. Miriam, the oldest sister of Moses. Oh. So it was Moses, then Aaron, and then Moshe. So the, 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 those are the birth order right Miriam. there. Miriam. Aaron. Miriam, Aaron. Yeah, Yeah, what did I say? Moses. You said Moses, Aaron, Moshe. No. Yeah. That's his alias. Yeah, exactly. It's like Jethro or Raul. Yeah. What was it? Ruel, yeah. Ruel. So anyway, yeah, our tongues are tied today for whatever reason. (laughs) Tripping over our tongues. So anyway, um, there's the birth order right there. And so we can see where, you know, Moses was the youngest, yet he was used of God. What What an awesome... Story. So we're we're moving into, of course, uh, Numbers chapter twenty, verse two. Uh, what were the people lacking when they came against Moses and Aaron? It was water. But I, w- I want to just point out something that Go I ahead. found interesting right here. It says here, um, and Miriam died there and was buried there, and there was no water for the congregation. So it's it's you know obviously we've created the separation of verses and subtitles here. Um, I found it interesting that Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation kind of right after that. So kind of an interesting transition right in there that makes you wonder, and I know some of the Jewish sages do do actually mention this as saying that <clears throat> Miriam, for some reason, was affiliated with the water source in, in some way, shape, or form. I, I didn't really find that um, just from a, a cursory reading back of, you know, the other times that Moses um, had struck the rock. But I did uh, obviously see this, you know, uh, and so then, you know, moving on, um, you know, the people start to rise up again. So they're lacking the water. And so after Moses heard the people's complaint, they went to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and they fell on their faces. So this is this is a repeat, right? So uh, in the past, when we um, when we had gone through this whole process of the people complaining, there's kind of more of a narrative, but now we get to this shorter narrative where it's like, people complain, Moses falls on his face, God punishes, you know, like bam, bam, bam. And so uh, Moses, right. So Moses um, at this point is told to speak to the rock in order to get water, but he smote the rock twice instead. Yeah. We're going to get into that. Yeah. We're moving right towards that, you know, uh, simple instructions, you know. So, so after Moses and Aaron heard the people's complaint, they went to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and fell on their faces. They're making intercession, you know. I, I'll tell you, I, I've learned this. You just cannot fight all the complaints and opinions. So you take them, you listen, you respect it, but you, you just pray. You know, Lord, there's a lot of disgruntled people. I just pray for them. I lift them up. And it, it's a better response than, than, than returning the, uh, you know, returning fire. So Moses was told to speak to the rock in order to get water. But he smote the rock twice instead. And so um, I'm going to have Ryan read Numbers chapter 20, 
verse 12. This is very important for those of you that are in leadership or want to be in leadership. Uh, this is so important. I can so relate to this. Uh, Ryan's going to read uh, Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. And it says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. And wow. So, so I went back, actually, and in verse 8, um, I, you know, I, I have a tendency to kind of feel bad for Moses, right? Amen, brother. Come on, son. Okay, I don't feel bad for Moses anymore. I just want to go ahead and let the... What? Out of you the don't bag. feel yeah. bad for him? I don't mean him. to squash your, oh. your, your pity party over oh, there. Oh, your for, day's coming, buddy. Oh, I'm sure it is. Don't, don't get me oh, wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we look at this. Moses is one of the most revered characters of the Bible. I mean, come on. Uh, at the end of the day, God puts a calling on his life and he has him go on this whole journey. And Moses is given, you know, the ultimate importance. He's given, you know, rewards, I'm sure, that come with his position and all these things. And obviously he has some headaches with the people, but God, you know, shows up for him and brings him through. And he gets to speak to God face to face. Okay. So we're talking when he passes away, do you think that he gets to spend eternity with the Lord? I'm going to go ahead and raise my hand. Absolutely. I think Moses is in Absolutely. heaven. Okay. So at this point, this is where we find out, hey, Moses, your 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 time has run out. You know what I mean? You, you've kind of come to the end of your mission. Uh, obviously, it's time for a new leader to take on this next section. And that happens to every leader. Every leader gets to a point in their life where they have to pass the mantle on pass to somebody. The baton. Right. Pass the baton. Every, you know, it, listen, every single leader goes I will this. tell you this though. Here's something interesting, Ryan. On behalf of Moses, I'm gonna I'm gonna really side with him because how much can a man take? Okay, just let's go back to the storyline, okay? We had one tour portion where Miriam and Aaron contest him, come after him. His own siblings, you know, he cries out for Miriam, who's covered with you know leprosy. And God heals her, puts her out the camp for seven days. And, and Moses is like, man, you know, he's watching his sister trying to get, you know, sibling rivalry under control. Yeah. Say, hey, Miriam, I love you. You're, you know, thank you for saving me out of the river and taking me to, to mother and nurse. She nursed me and stuff. Thank you for all that, you know. And so, you know, but then, of course, you know, then what happens? You know, then, of course, you, you, you do what? You, you have, you know, the, the spies come back and give an evil report. And now they're not going to go in the land. And he's like, what? And, and notice that. Moses probably assumed he was going into the land. Oh, yeah. Because remember what God said. It's 20 and up. Only two in this age group. He didn't say Moses. He didn't include Moses. This is a little something to think about, everybody. He didn't include Moses and in, you're going into the land. That's true. With, with Joshua and point. Caleb. So, so you, like I said, I think he was meant to be the deliverer and do all of that. But I don't really find the scriptures where he's supposed to bring them into the promise. No, it's not. You know? And, you know, so this I, don't, is, I don't see that part of it. But we talk we also, assume it. Because, you know, there's two other occasions where he has to strike a rock and water comes out. So at this time, I think on a cursory reading, you're like, well, he just, you know, he just did what he was used to doing, you know, it was probably habit, you know, strike the rock, boom, water comes out. Maybe he just kind of misunderstood God's instructions. Well, got, no, I'm leading up to my storyline because he already had sibling rivalry. Okay. He had a bad report. All now, right. 10 guys died of a plague as well, and they're not going into the promised land. Then they decide, hey, well, we're going to take the promised land. They get their butts kicked. Oh, yeah. Right? Then they got to return back. Moses, I'm not going with you. The ark's not going with you, and God's not going with you. And they got their butts kicked and handed to them, and then they came back with their tail between their legs, right? And then what happens? Here comes Korah Oof. instead of Dora. Here comes Korah, you know. And so, you know, the guy is at the end of his rope. 
Yeah. I mean, how much can the man take? Right. How much can, you know, it gets through sibling rivalry, 10 bad spies ruining for everybody. And then the earth swallowing them up 250 princes with their sensors are, are, are taken. Their lives are taken. And then, and now he's got, and, and now he's got, you know, Cora and all this stuff going down. You know, I tell you, I would have, I would have struck the rock, spit, the, spit on the rock, kick the rock. I'd probably taken a rock to hit the rock. You know, when you stop and put yourself in, the, in that situation, you know. So, so look at but this. But he did not, you know, sanctify the Lord in front of the people. That is correct. He and totally lost it in front of the people. That's correct. Now, this is another food for thought. He says, must we get water from the rock for you? Mm. He's not bringing water from the rock. He kind of stepped over a line when it comes to God and providing. You know, and, and people looked at him like almost like a, a demigod oh, yeah. coming out of Egypt and everything else. So there was this persona that he's kind of got some God in him or something, you know, but, but he's not God. And so this is what happens. And uh, they call this the water of Meribah, of strife, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord and he was sanctified in them. Boy, I can relate to this so much, you know. You know, I, I think that what the, 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 the issue here where if I think God gets frustrated with Moses is that Moses allowed his personal frustration with the people to bleed over into his relationship with God. And so it says here very clearly, it says, Speak ye unto the rock, and then it says, Before their eyes. So the whole point is this whole scenario is going on in front of the people. And so when Moses does this, the people know the instruction, and they know what Moses does, and they know that he's kind of acting out at this point. Um, and that's, you know, ultimately, it's not how you start. It's how you finish, right? No, this is, this is, here's, here's the question that we had in our discussion, right? So Moses and Aaron did not sanctify the Lord in front of the children of Israel. Why is it so important for leadership to model good behavior and be a good example before the people? Now, I'm just going to share my thoughts on this and my own personal experiences. The first person you lead is yourself. First person you lead is yourself. Uh, many eyes are watching you. Mm. Many ears are listening. Mm -hmm. They when you think people aren't listening, they're listening. Boy, they're not they. seeing, they are seeing. Now, always try to model what you want others to do. Okay, always try to model what you want others to do, uh, even in regards to my family or marriage or whatever. Uh, and last but not least, I want to take you to the beautiful Gospel of Matthew, chapter twenty-three, uh, verse one. Uh, it says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. I like this. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Boom. Wow. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, 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 yeah. But be not ye called rabbi. Hello, For Katie. one is your master. I did. Even Christ and all ye are brethren. You like that? It's cracking up over here. <laughs> rabbi, rabbi, rabbi. Listen. Oh, yeah, yeah, who yeah. wants that? Listen, I'm telling you right now. My job as a pastor is not glorious. I'm telling you. It's tough. But I'll tell you, it's worth it. But the thing is, though, you know, if, if I'm going to ask the people to do something, Ryan, I should be doing it. It's kind of like, okay, we're going to do the Daniel fast. And then I don't do it. 
Well, that's a hypocrite, right? Okay, guys, I need you to do Friday nights. I need you to do Shabbat, you know, and then I'm out gallivanting around every Friday or something, you know. He told us to do Shabbat, and I saw him at the mall, you know. Well, why were you at the mall? So it's funny how things happen like that. So you want to be an example, you know. The first person you lead is yourself. Now, we're going to move on here because we have, of course, uh, in Numbers chapter 20, verse 21, the children of Israel did not go through the land of Edom because they refused them passage through their border. Yikes. Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 to 21. Now, let me just remind all of you. And this is Esau, right? That's right, the Edomites, the Edom. Uh, Examples of this would be Esau and King Herod. Herod was an Edomite, an Edomian. Uh, and so, once again, they were the relatives of Israel along with the Moabites. Uh, remember, Lot's two daughters had children. They were on the east side of the Jordan River there. To uh, the east The Ammonites, side. you know, we have uh, the Moabites uh, and so the Edomites. And so God was actually avoiding a uh, family squabble there. Uh, he said, just go around them. You're going to have to go around them. And that's what they had to do. So just think about that. So as we move on here. That's an interesting storyline in and of itself, that geographically speaking. Who died on Mount Hor, and how many days did they mourn for them? So, I mean, this is sad stuff. Aaron now dies. I mean, this is where we're ending the... And he's the middle child. Yeah, and he, they mourn for him for 30 days. Just think they died in their birth order. So I, I heard I heard something cool. This was uh, Angela Fitch um, last night was talking about this, that I guess her mother had kind of had this insight um and and this is not something that specifically says it here in the text but it's just kind of something that she she was thinking of you know throughout aaron's life the big question is why does all these people get punished and aaron doesn't right so you have the golden calf incident oh i swear i just threw all the gold in the fire and boom there was a golden calf came a calf yeah so you know there's that situation and then there's when aaron and miriam come against moses miriam ends up with leprosy but moses does or uh but aaron doesn't so you know, why is it, you know, people always ask, why is it that Aaron... He's the high priest. ...kind of gets away with it? And so here's here's what happens. So the Lord obviously, you know, prophesies and says, hey, Aaron, um, you're about to be gathered to your people, um, so it's time for you to pass on the mantle of the high priest onto your son, Eliezer. And so they go up to Mount Hor, and they have this ceremony. And when the covering comes off of Aaron... And he takes the covering off of himself, and he places this covering, right? Maybe it's a physical covering. Maybe it's, you know, the mantle. It comes, and it, it, it's placed on Eliezer. Aaron dies. And just says right after it, says he gives the covering over to, to Eliezer. So he was a covering. And Aaron. That's Aaron, good. It is. And so it's, it's, he's in a position, right? So it's not necessarily the person. And I think a lot of times we look to the person. Think of the president. He's still the president. Like him or not. He still has this finger on the button, whether you like it or not, right? I mean, so there has to be a protocol and a certain respect and an order that goes along with the position itself, despite what people may think or feel about the individual in the role. And and so, look, it, it, this is something that's read into the text. This is not something that's read in the text, but I thought it was a cool insight, and I, I could see it. You know, I mean, I could kind of, I kind of gather that from from this little piece there, and that was from Angela. You know, Fish. I, I love that. You know, we all we all need God's grace and mercy. You Amen. know, gosh, He should have taken me out years ago, but His grace and mercy sustains me. So, uh, so long to the middle child. He's gone, and uh, Eliezer's taking over now, uh, which is a, a change of covering, like like Brian was sharing, and of course, he was the successor. Uh, as the high priest now, and now we're going to be getting into, uh, actually, we're going to be getting into Numbers chapter 21, King Arid and the Serpent of Brass. 
Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. So uh, King Arad was the Canaanite king, and, and he actually he fought Israel and took some of them prisoners. Uh, Arad, think about Arad. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a deodorant? It's also, arid, it's also the description of a climate. Arid is arid, a climate. Arid climate. Like warm, Hence dry. the name of the... The arid. deodorant is, I want an arid climate, oh, not a wow. tropical climate there under Mars. King Arid and the serpent of breath. <laughs> think about King Arid now. He fought Israel and he took some of them prisoners. And what was, what was Israel's response uh, toward their enemy and their cities? God, they utterly destroyed them. I knew he was coming back. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back, Conan. We, we, we missed you. We need, some, we need some pillaging. Who is your daddy and what does yeah, he do? There's, there's not a lot of pillaging in Leviticus. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we need you, Conan. No, but we are finally going to rise up. Conan, can, can you go into Gaza for us? We, oh, we need you to go into Gaza. It would Gaza. be my great pleasure. Yes, there'll be no incendiary uh, balloons and stuff happening with that. I will um, crush the rebellion. I'm telling you what. So, you know, they utterly destroyed them. And now we get into Numbers 21, uh, verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses... Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Mm. Wow, they didn't like their circumstances, Ryan. They didn't like the manna anymore. They're getting sick of manna. They're getting sick of that provision. And so remember what I said earlier. The, this narrative gets shorter and shorter, right? There's the complaint, and then there's... You know, what, what Moses and Aaron do, which in this case is now just left to Moses. And then there's the punishment. It's like, boom, boom, boom. You see it. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, you know, as a community, they're being punished, Ryan. Oh, yeah. It's not like they're leaving the community. God's putting a whooping on the community. Oh, no. And this is high drama, I mean, God too. God can put a whooping on Beit Tehillah. That's <laughs> like, what talk I'm about saying. a game of snake in the grass. You know what I mean? Like, this is high drama here. The, oh, listen to this. So God sent fiery serpents, serpentine, among the people, and they bit the people, and many of them died. All right, I got something crazy to say. You ready for this? I don't, I don't know if this is, this is. we might lose some followers here. What if fiery serpents are actually dragons? What if? I mean, all I'm saying is it's serpentine. <laughs> it's, it's serpents, it's snakes, you know. And so what happens? The people repented to Moses. They realized, oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. They're snakes. I mean, you know, I hate snakes. Oh, yeah. I can't. I'm, snake is a snake. Oh, yeah. It's not a good symbol. No, right? it's not. But here's what God does. We talk about snakes, you know, giving the creeps and stuff and, and, and avoiding snakes. But the Lord told Moses to make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. What does brass signify? Judgment. Hmm. Brass, is a, it, it signifies judgment. That's what the altar was made out right. of. The labor of, of brass, right? Right. The women's looking glasses. So those that looked upon it and were bitten would live. Wow. That's Numbers 21, verse 9. Now, here we go. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, because the serpent of brass on a pole was a picture of the coming Messiah on a cross. Are you ready for this? In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, here we go. So here's the symbol, right? It's a serpent of brass put on a pole. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, this is what it says in John 3, verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Think about this. How has looking up and seeing Yeshua on the cross changed your life? You know, uh, if you go back, and I'm just going to reference a few things here for you to think about. Uh, Paul even makes mention of this. We know this even in Genesis. The serpent beguiled Eve. It was a serpent that beguiled 
Eve, okay? We can find this in Genesis 3. Once again, Paul makes reference to this in 2 Corinthians 11, 3. But this is what we have here. Uh, let's go to Hebrews 2, 14. Once again, the snake is a symbol of evil. Here we go. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. That is the devil. Now I want to go to, uh, to, to this particular verse. John was a beloved disciple here. I want to go to um, 1 John 3.8. So you got this brass serpent on a pole, lift it up. Remember, we're supposed to lift up Yeshua. So what? So that all men, women, and children may be drawn unto him. That's one of my things that I've, I think I've said in prayers or at the closing of a service or to acknowledge Yeshua. Let's lift up Yeshua so that all men, women, and children uh, may come to him and acknowledge him. So here we have 1 John 3. This is powerful. Uh, I, I really think it's powerful. It says, he that committed sin is of the devil. Remember, they were sinning against Moses, coming against him and God. And it says here that he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we're not to give the devil any place. But evil is real. And matter of fact, he is the prince of this world. Yeah. The prince of this world, Ryan, has blinded the eyes of from people receiving the gospel. Absolutely. You know, so when, when you live a good life and you, you have a good witness and a good example to present to the people, you can acknowledge Yeshua saved you, that once you were blind, but now you see. Nothing's greater than amazing grace, you know, when you stop and think about this. So to destroy the works of the devil. So once again, Ryan, you know, we, we just can say, you know, Father, thank you that when Yeshua came and was lifted up on the cross, uh, he destroyed the works of the devil. Thank you for that. You know, he, he suffered, died, and was buried. And, and you just speak these things that, you know, he was lifted up. I look up to Yeshua, you know. It says, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. It doesn't say look down, look over the horizon. No, he says, look up, look up, right? So once again, uh, the snake the snake on the pole, and, and we won't get into to this thing turns into an idol later on. It does, yeah. And they have to Second destroy kings. it, yep. which is understandable. You know, you can you can worship idols, but you're not supposed to have idols. Remember, thou shalt have no idols or make idols or bow down to them or whatever. So what a, what an interesting observation, you know, and this word serpentine and serpents and stuff, you know. Dragon. Uh, you can, dragons. I mean, what you do is if you can go back into the Hebrew or whatever and, and describe some of these creatures that God made, some of them are indicated as serpentine or serpents. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, there's there's the seraphim, there's the cherubim, there's there's different angels and things. And I'm just saying to all of you listening, uh, it's it's amazing. You know, even a, to like like a salamander. If you see a salamander running around, you think it's a snake. Yeah. You know, it's so sleek and shiny and and, and elusive. You know. Uh, so anyway, uh, what an incredible time to look at that. You know, as a type and shadow or a symbol. And by the way, you know, this this symbol is used in the medical field for sure. You know, for healing. Yeah, for healing. Yep. So I think that's very, very interesting that that would be carried over into today's time. Yeah, and you know... They help to heal people and save people's lives and stuff. You, that's you, the symbol. You mentioned, you know, looking up and, and what does it mean? How's looking up at the cross changed your life? I think, um, you know, if I'm, I'm thinking of it and I, I'm looking up at the cross, right, and I see Yeshua on the cross, 
you know, it really shows me the, the, the gravity of sin, that the, that the wages of sin is death, that I'm, I'm looking at not just sin as a whole as this abstract idea, but I'm looking at my sin, the times when I've fallen short, the times when I've done things that I shouldn't do, and that that's what put him there. And so it repels me from sin. When I think about that, you know, hey, the, the Israelites complain, and so then there's a punishment associated. But like, how can you complain when somebody's already taken your punishment, that you look up and that you see your redemption right there? Um, on there. And there's one other thing, you know, this whole idea, um, I, I forget the name of the teaching, we've watched it at New Moon, um, but there's a, a gentleman, I think, out of Lakeland, Florida, who does a teaching about the almond rod and about this, oh, yeah. and connects the dots all together to where, you know, you take this, this uh, the, the rod of Aaron, and you put this pole on it, and then or the snake on this right. pole. Right, interesting, yeah. <laughs> ends up on the Mount of Olives. They yeah. end up having to break down it's the incredible. thing. But then it ends up being where Yeshua is, sacri- or is, uh, is uh, crucified. So interesting. And obviously they connect the dots a lot better, but it's a cool teaching. Do you remember what that was called? Or who the guy was? <laughs> do we have it right here? I don't think we do. Nah, maybe. Maybe I'll put it in the notes on the thing, because I know we have it over in the office here, just yeah. around the corner. I'll have to go look at it. But it, it was a cool no, teaching. It's, it's, it's a very, very interesting teaching, you know. I love it. So, so we're going to move on here to now the the uh, Israel's going to have to face their enemies. You know, if we would quit complaining and murmuring, we could fight the enemy. You know what I mean? Imagine that. <laughs> they call it friendly fire. We you hurt each other, but anyway. So when King Sion of the Amorites would not let the children of Israel pass through peacefully, he waged a war against them and was utterly defeated. Da. He was. Israel possessed his land from Arnon unto Jabbok, even unto the children of Ammon. Ammon, you know, the Ammonites. This is the descendants of, uh, of uh, Lot's daughter. Uh, so once again, we can see this being played out to the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, kingdom of Og, is, uh, Bashan, is to the north. Then we have, of course, the kingdom of Sion, uh, which is, of course, just above the plains of Moab there. Uh, the Ammonites are just further east to the kingdom of Sion. And so the king Og of Bashan was the next king that Israel defeated in battle. Once again, he was much more to the north uh, in, we would say, the uh, northern part of uh, the Golan Heights or whatever. Um, and of course, the, uh, the last question here is, where did Israel camp after defeating the king of Bashan? In the plains of Moab, on the side Jordan I mean, by Jericho. I would so say this are. is at the gate to the land. We finally reached the you gate know, to the there, land. There you go, Ryan. You say Check it every this week. Out. Check this out. Let's let's do a little review here for those of you that are listening. Uh, numbers is broken up into three parts. We have, of course, uh, in Numbers chapter one through nine, they're at Sinai. This is the preparation for the journey, and this takes place within a few weeks. All right, part one is done. We're in part two now. Part two is to Moab. This is about the journey, and this takes place about 39 years, uh, 39 years, the journey, uh, chapters 10 through, I guess, uh, I would say chapter 21. So once again, we are actually on the plains. Um, that's what it says here. On the plains of Moab, on this side, Jordan, by Jericho. So just below uh, them is the Dead Sea. Uh to the west is Jericho. This is where you get the West Bank. Uh, they're going to be going in the West Bank, or they're going to be going on the west side of the Jordan River. So think about it, everybody. What an incredible opportunity, because part three, once again, uh, takes place within a few months. It's at the gate to the land, and you're at Moab. Uh, 
And so we are really living in exciting times right now. Uh, for those of you that are listening to this podcast, we are just, we really are uh, breaking records and things are happening and, and the word's getting out. Uh, there's so much you can listen to in life, but I, I encourage you to continue to listen to these podcasts and we're going to tell you the truth. We're going to share our hearts with you and not only as individuals, but as, 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 as a community, uh, we have incredible things happening. Once again, here we are into the Hebrews of the Christian faith. And we have Judah coming to visit us. Uh, what an incredible time. What an incredible story. It's just like Judah approaches Joseph in that story. And so let me encourage you. Don't fear for your children. Encourage them. Love them. Share the promises of God with them. Because that word in the Greek is epigelia. It means a divine assurance of good. So now the last phase of the book of Numbers, as we finish it out here, the next few weeks is going to be, of course, at Moab, at the gate to the land. And, of course, dealing with a few months. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at uh, two problems that Israel is going to face, which are very relevant for today in our culture. Uh, the enemy of the occult and sexual immorality. Cannot stress it enough. The occult and sexual immorality will be finishing it up. And that's exactly what's hitting our culture today. And we need to recognize that. So, well, God, God bless all you guys. I'm going to let Ryan close out with a few thoughts. And uh, many blessings to you. And, and just remember that uh, we're in the summer months. And we're moving towards Tammuz 17, which is the golden calf incident in, in Exodus 32. We'll be in, in this month, and then it's going to carry us over to the end of July, which will be called the three weeks of affliction in <laughs> regards to the ninth of Av, both temples being destroyed. Once again, the future temple is a big deal. The temple mounts a big deal. So that's my advice to you. The summer months, be the most spiritual. Apply yourself. Do oh, yeah. more. Be more. Amen. All right. So what two lessons can be learned from the Torah portion, Chukat? Um, and, uh, I would, uh, our group last night came up with two things that I thought were pretty poignant, um, good little points. And so the first one was do what God says the way he says to do it. Um, you know, I'm a father and sometimes I ask my kids to do things and they take it upon themselves to either a not do it and ignore me or b to uh, do it in a different way than what I asked specifically. And so in those cases, uh, I can say, I still love my children, but it doesn't bring joy to my heart. And then there's other occasions where my kids do what I've asked, and then they go above and beyond in doing it the way that I've asked them to do it, and maybe even do a better job than I could have hoped. And it is in those cases that I just get this joy, right, of fatherhood. Um, and in all the cases, like I mentioned, I don't love my kids any less, but I, you know, I get different emotions that, that come at me uh, regarding it. And so I would say do what God says or the way he says to do it is a good one. Uh, I think if you're listening to this podcast, then you can already think of some ideas as to what it is that we as a, as a, as a body of Christ do uh, in a way that is not what God asked us to do it. So that'd be the first thing. That's pretty good. Yeah. So uh, the second thing was everything rises and falls with leadership. So, um, you know, I, I know I gave Moses a hard time here earlier, right? Maybe I gave him a lack of a, of sympathy. You know, uh, I do love Moses. I do think Moses is awesome. And I do feel for Moses because I, too, uh, am not a perfect person. And so I can see how, man, you do all this work and, and you've had this thing in mind and you have this reward in mind, and then at the end you blow it. You know what I mean? Just it just imagine getting a flat tire in the last lap of a race you're winning by, you know, you know handedly, you know? 
So it's kind of one of those things that that um, is disappointing. But everything rises and falls of leadership. There's a responsibility over leadership, and you know if we if we're honest with ourselves about um, about it, we all want the position, right? We've talked about wanting to be counted but not wanting to be counted on. Everybody wants the position, but not everybody wants to be above reproach. Not everybody wants the responsibility that comes with it. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, Moses did a great job. He is a very revered character of the Bible. And um, he's the man. He, he, he's, he's the man. But, uh, but his leadership um, and his willingness to listen to God probably being the primary trait. Great intercessor. Of being a leader in this context um, is what got the people all the way from Egypt to the gate of the promised land. And so if you think of it that way, uh, did he do his job? He did. And the people, if they didn't have Moses as a leader interceding for them, somebody else in those shoes might've taken one of God's offers to, Hey, let me just eliminate these people and start over with you. Hey, but who showed up at the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. What about in the book of Revelation? The two witnesses? Mm, we don't could, know yet. Could it be? It could the be. Prophets? But, but we don't know. And the Torah? It could be Judah and Ephraim. It, interesting. We don't know. You, you know, one thing I forgot to remind everyone in making this relevant, you know, we fight the good fight of faith, meaning we fight just to believe, let alone do and trust. But you notice that there's a lot of battles going on before you go into the promised land. How many of you, how many of you know that right now you're probably in a battle listening to this podcast? Man, Pastor Nick, how do you know this? Because all across the board, the Commonwealth of Israel is being affected. And like Paul said, he had this door of hope open to him, but there's an adversary at the door. Listen, David had to kill the lion and the bear before you can kill the giant. Let's let's slay our enemy. Let's beat our enemy on the east side of the Jordan River. And then we can go into the promised land. There you go. And then we can f- face new battles and, and new exciting adventures. So be encouraged, you know. Uh, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he delivers them out of them all. You have the victory, amen. You have the keys to life, eternal life from Yeshua. You have the keys. Remember, you got to confess those things. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus beat him with a stick. That's Think right. about it. Amen. A rod, a stick. Think about it. The cross is a stick. He beat him with a stick. And, and when you acknowledge that, man, that's that's half the battle right there, you know, in his name. Give no place to the devil. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Amen. You know, just do a spiritual audit. Have you said something, done something, or are you not in a good place? Write the ship. Get an adjustment. Get a spiritual audit done. And uh, you'll see that the next step is beautiful. So God bless all of you that are listening. We are so excited uh, that for those of you from other countries, we love you. You know, uh, we just love all the other countries and stuff. You know, when I go to Epcot, I like to visit all the different countries. And it's kind of <laughs> like, you're my, my little Epcot out there listening, Ryan. And I just really appreciate yeah. you. We love you. And we appreciate the feedback. And listen, you're going to make it. We are living in exciting times. And the promises of, of God are for you and your children and your children's children. Children. That's right. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, you know you can reach out to me, Ryan at twopraise.net. I love your emails. Let me just tell you, your emails encourage me and Pastor Nick so much. Keep them coming. Uh, also, the reviews on iTunes uh, and your little hearts and your comments on SoundCloud and all that. Um, we just love any way that we can interact with you guys also through our social media platforms. Speaking of social media, don't forget to live stream our services. Uh, we do have some exciting stuff coming up in July. As I mentioned before, we have Hanok coming the 13th and the 15th. We have Nadi Ram on the 17th, and we have Freedom Weekend the 27th and 28th. So don't forget about those things. Uh, and we do live stream our normal Shabbat services every Saturday at 11 a.m. So, uh, and that's Eastern Standard Time. God bless you guys. Have a great week. 